0: Thank you for joining me on episode 26 of the Unique On Purpose podcast, helping you find the and how God has uniquely created you. I am your host, Rachel Gentleman, just a regular gal trying to help people know that they are called to be vivid in Christ Jesus. And today's podcast is actually a sermon that I gave last year on the word love. There are four different definitions of the word love in scripture. And as February is the month of love, Let's take a listen on how God wants us to love others. If you could go ahead and turn your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. A little bit about myself. My husband and I, we've been married for 15 years. We have three gorgeous babies who really aren't babies anymore. And we are what you would call first generational Christians. We did not grow up in the church. we gave our hearts to the Lord when we were teenagers. So please make sure you uh, give a pat on the back to your youth pastor and your youth leaders because they do excellent work. It is why we are here today is because of an amazing youth pastor and his wife and their youth leaders and I remember being six years old and I was sitting out in the patio in Tampa, Florida with my dad and He started telling me all about this woman named Mary, and she's about to have a baby. And there was this star in the sky, and all these visitors came to see this child, and he said, do you know what she named this baby? Well, no, Dad, What, what, what what did she name him? And he said, Jesus Christ. And I was so appalled, because I thought, how could a woman name her child a swear word? Because that's how I grew up. Fast forward 10 years. I'm working in a restaurant here in town. And there was this gentleman that would come in every Tuesday night. Bob. And he got to know some of us as a wait staff. And he had asked one of the waitresses, Brooke. Here's another connection. I asked Carly's permission if I could share this. But this was Carly's sister. Brooke, he had asked her if... He, if she would go to church with him. And she didn't want to go by herself. She had a church backer and I didn't. And, and she said, Rachel, will you go to church with me? And I thought, oh, I don't know. Church, on a Sunday, I got things to do, like sleep. Why would I go to church? And then she said something so profound that it changed my, my way of thinking forever. She said, Rachel, Cute boys go to church. I said, well, why didn't you say that in the first place? Can't get a boyfriend at school. Go to church and get one. And I went that Sunday not knowing that my life was about to completely change forever. I went, and I didn't stay for the service. I just watched the worship, and it was very weird To watch people raising their hands and they're singing to someone who's not even here i mean at least i go to a concert they're singing to the you know the 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 star that's up front but we're singing to a a god who's not even here i I didn't understand and i went that week and i just went and i bought myself a bible because i just wanted to know what is it about this jesus that everybody's talking about And that next Sunday, I went back to church and I gave my heart to Christ. I had no clue what I was doing, but I knew that I couldn't live my life the way I was living any longer because now I knew the truth. And at the age of 19, I felt God call me to ministry and at 21 to preaching ministry. And guess what? I met a cute boy at church and I married him. So it worked out. And I tell you this, not just to give you a little bit of of background about myself, but also to share that I'm here today because it was an imperfect church, just like this one, filled with imperfect people that decided to take a messed up, confused teenager and point her to the love of a perfect God. And as we continue Pastor Chris's series on the fruits of the spirit, love, we we use that word quite a bit and in the book of Galatians you see that there there's some tension because Paul starts out his letter very passionately and you had in in Galatia the churches in Galatia was what we know now is modern-day Turkey you had the Jews and you had the Gentiles and they're butting heads and there's a lot of false doctrine coming into play and Paul is describing to them at the beginning of the letter The purpose of the gospel, that it isn't by works that you become saved, but it is because of faith and grace in Jesus. That is how you get saved, that it is the death, the resurrection of Jesus. You accept him into your heart, and then the Holy Spirit abides in you, and it manifests out. And that is where we get the fruits of the Spirit. In verse 22, I know that you have been reading this every week, but I will have you read it along with me. If not, it is on the screen. It says, but the fruit, or excuse me, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. When you hear the word club, C L U B, just shout it out to me. What does it make you think of? The word club? Exclusivity? Exclusivity? Like like a team? Make, like, what do you mean by exclusive? Oh, that's a good one. Like Sam's Club. Okay, anybody else? <laughs> Golfing. Any golfers in the room? Ooh, sandwich. sandwich. These are my people. Right here. <laughs> California club at Chili's baby with a side of fries club (laughs) about the club, like something that you hit somebody over the head with or a nightclub where you go and you hang out, we have this word club and it's kind of an umbrella for about four or five different nouns, but we use that word to describe multiple nouns. And it's the same with the word love. We use that word so often. And really, it kind of, the, the meaning be, kind of becomes diminished because we use it so often. I love pizza. I love Paris. I love my kids. And I would hope that my kids know that I love them more than Paris and pizza. Depends on the day. <laughs> but we use it so much for anything and everything. L O V is used over 600 times in scripture. But in the original language, in the original text, we find four different meanings. And I wanna quickly explain those to you. The first one is storge. That is the love between family, parent and child, brother and sister, grandparents. You even find storge in the church because as a body of Christ, we're a family. We have spiritual mothers and fathers. We're brothers and sisters. Eros, that's that passionate sexual, marital love between husband and wife. And Philia, the love between friends. We we all have a best friend, right? And all of those, those three, they're very natural. You don't have to teach someone how to do these three loves. When I gave birth to my children and I was in the hospital bed and they put that baby in my arms, no one had to tell me that if you mess with that baby, you messed with me. No one had to teach me that. When a man and a woman get married, nobody has to teach them how to be passionate about each other. That comes naturally. But agape love, that fourth love, a little bit harder. Agape, that is the godly, unconditional, selfless, sacrificial love that we find in the fruits of the Spirit. And the way we obtain that agape love is to abide in Christ, to put Him first. It's the same with all the other fruits of the Spirit. If you want to obtain peace and kindness and joy, In love, you have to put God first. You seek first the kingdom and out flows then those fruits of the spirit, that agape love. And now we could talk about agape all day long. What it looks like, what scripture says, how we are to treat one another. There's many different directions we could take this. But this verse really stuck out to me And in Galatians chapter 5, if you go up a few verses before the fruits of the Spirit, verse 13, if you'd read with me, it says, For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in agape. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command, agape your neighbor as yourself. But if you are always, listen, listen, this one, If you are always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Beware of destroying one another. And just like the people in Galatia, I believe us in the 21st century need to heed this warning. Because we can get so caught up in, well, what this Christian comedian did over here, and the sin that this pastor over here, and my brother over here that we forget about loving our neighbor and we forget that we are to look at our own heart and say, God, how, how do I change? How do I love my neighbor as myself? And I don't want to create generalities because I hate it when people do that about Christians. Well, Christians this, Christians that, no, no, no. But I do see two groups of people right now. Oh, the group over here, my whole Christian walk, I have never, witnessed this much unity and people on their face seeking Jesus because we have no clue what's going on in our culture and our faith has trembled and we are seeking God. And I believe that we are on the brink of revival. I really do. And evangelists are reporting. They're starting to see pockets of it happening out in California and Florida and on the East coast. And I'm going, come on, Lord, bring it to Michigan. I'm all about it. Let's do it. But then there's the other group that maybe think that their spiritual gifting is jabbing their brothers and sisters in Christ and tearing them down. Instead of focusing on loving their neighbor as themselves, you don't have to go any further than Facebook to see them ripping each other apart. And as it says in Galatians, you continue to devour each other, you will eventually implode. And I like to think that i'm over in this group you know because i've been i've been seeking god i think more than i ever have because i'm i'm saying lord i have no clue what's going on i need you to speak to me how do i act as a christian in this moment in time in history but if i'm honest with myself i mean my sarcasm game is on point I speak Sarkiness very fluently. It's my second language. But I have a choice to make. Am I gonna be over here devouring my brothers and sisters in Christ or am I gonna come over in unity and seek God's face? In John chapter 13, Jesus told his disciples, he said, listen, the people, the world outside will know that you are my disciples because how you love each other the people outside the four walls of this church. And for me personally, I find it a lot easier to love those outside church than it is in church. But Christ said, they will know that we are his disciples because of how we agape one another. And how do we do that? Because again, we could take this in so many different directions. We could talk about agape all day long. But I think the Lord has given us five points to really focus in on. Number one, agape forgives. This one's hard because listen, I feel, at least me personally, it is so much easier to forgive the person that doesn't know Christ. I mean, when Jesus, when he's hanging on the cross, he said, Lord, forgive them for they don't know. And me thinking I'm a lot like Jesus, I say, yeah, God, I know they hurt me. I know that it was painful. But I forgive them because they don't know. But the believer, well, God, they know. They know. They hurt me. They have wounded me. They should know better because they are followers of you. And I want to hold on to that bitterness and that anger. And somewhere in my brain, I think that me holding on to that is revenge on them. But in fact, it's destroying me. And it does something to me mentally. And I'm not saying that forgiveness means forgetting. What I am saying is you are taking what is on your hook, removing it and you are putting it on God's hook and saying this is yours and you need to take care of it. Ephesians chapter four says to be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Imitate God therefore in everything you do because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with agape, following the example of Christ. He agaped us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. So according to Paul in Ephesians, in order for us to be imitators of Christ, it means that we are to forgive one another just as he has forgiven us. Number two, agape rejoices in truth. I I get into this trap of thinking, I just have to be nice. If I'm just nice, that is loving. But being a doormat is not loving. Jesus was not a doormat. Jesus spoke truth, but he did it in love. And if we are not careful, we will allow our niceness to override people's sin. In 1 Corinthians 13, that love chapter, we busted out at weddings, Valentine's Day, And in the beginning, it seems really sweet and nice that love is patient and it's kind and it's not rude, it doesn't boast. But then Paul continues and he says, it does not delight in evil, but it rejoices in truth. And that is hard because we have this word that we've been hearing in our culture the last 15 years. We have to be tolerant. Oh, I'm so glad my husband doesn't say that to me. And he hugs me and says, oh baby, I just tolerate you. (laughs) No, what tolerance means is that I accept your sin, but Agape comes in and says, I love you too much to allow you to sin and destroy your life. We do this with our kids, right? If we catch our child stealing, we rebuke and we correct in love, of course, because love is patient and it is kind and it's not rude but we rebuke and we correct and we say, I love you too much to allow you to continue on with this behavior. Number three, agape sacrifices and does for the greater good of the other person. Jesus said in John chapter 15, there is no greater agape than to lay down one's life for one's friends. And we live in this society right now that says, I'm entitled. I have these freedoms, I need to keep them. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with freedoms. We have freedom in Christ. But there will be times when Agape says you need to lay down your freedoms for the greater good of the brothers and sisters. I grew up in the 80s and 90s of feminism. That's the the mantra was, girl, you got it, you flaunt it. And if anybody tells you different, they're shaming you. But agape love, when you come to Christ, agape says, no, I cover to protect the eyes of my brothers in Christ. Before Jesus, my money is self-focused but when I come to Christ, Agape steps in and says, that's so great that you give your tithes to the storehouse, but now I am asking you and challenging you to sacrificially give so that way those in your community and around the world can have their physical and their spiritual needs met. Those of you that are married, you have a piece of paper and that's your marriage license. And that license says that you were once two people, but now you are one. And my job as a wife is to serve my husband. Oh, I know that's not politically correct right now, but that's my job as a wife. I lay down myself. I serve my husband and he serves me. We are no longer about ourselves, but we are about each other because our relationship is a reflection of Christ and his bride. And when people in the world see how we love each other, they will know that we are his disciples. Because of how we love each other in our marriage, how we sacrifice for the greater good of the other person. Number four, agape does not expect perfection. And everybody in the church sweat, thank you, Jesus. In Romans chapter five, it says, But God showed us his great agape by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. While we were sinners, while we were imperfect. And even though the imperfect church is filled with imperfect people, I think there was a time that the church expected perfection. It had had a mold. But if we expect perfection from believers and non-believers alike, then we diminish the purpose of the gospel. Emily Coulson, you may know her name. She is the daughter of the late preacher Chuck Coulson. And she has a son named Max who has severe autism. And when she received the diagnosis of autism, she quickly became a single mother. And she tried going to church, and she she did for, for a little while while he was younger. But Max got older And he got bigger and louder and more animated and he didn't fit inside the church box. And I get this, I grew up with a severely autistic brother. And even though we didn't go to church growing up, there was no way even if we wanted to, we could have gone because my brother didn't fit in the box. And Emily and her son they isolated themselves at home for many years and Max he loves Jesus. And he would watch on TV all church and he would sing his heart out during worship. And finally Emily said, "Okay. I need to get him back into church, but how do I do that?" She said, "I know. I'll take Max to his favorite part of church." The end. And she showed up to the altar call, that last song. And and Max was then able to be in the congregation. And he would sing his praises to Jesus. And he was so loud, but it was okay because the music was louder. And then they would fellowship in the back as everybody was leaving. And one day, a gentleman came up to Max and he put his fatherly arm around him and said, Max, we could use you on the grunt crew had no clue what that meant it didn't matter he was a part of the team now and that eventually evolved into kids ministry and greeting at the door and then one Sunday a woman approached Max's mom and she said Emily I've been coming to this church a year now and I started coming because I heard how much this church loved Max and I thought If this church could love Max, then maybe they could love me. What happened? Someone outside the four walls of the church saw and knew that this imperfect church was filled with Christ's imperfect disciples because of how they loved each other. They saw something in Max. They saw the beauty that God had created in him. And they didn't try to make Max accommodate to them. They said, we're going to compromise accommodate him. It was an imperfect church. It was filled with imperfect people, but they pointed Emily and Max to the perfect love of God. The last one, number five, agape invites. Ephesians chapter four says, be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in agape. Some versions say long suffering, bearing together, long suffering, what what does that mean? It means commitment. It means the long haul. A friend of mine, Frankie, she was in and out of jail. Her and her boyfriend were very much into drugs. And when she got out of jail, her bunk mate invited her to church. And her and her boyfriend and son, they showed up to church and that Sunday they gave their hearts to Jesus. But there was a problem. They were still addicted to drugs. And as hard as they tried to push those drugs aside, they still stumbled. And one day Frankie came up to one of her pastors and she said, listen, I got caught again and I can't do this anymore. I I know I need to be clean for Jesus, but I need to be clean for my son too. Can I just come over to your house? I just need to talk. The pastor said, yes, come over. You can have dinner with my family. And Frankie, she worked in construction, so she was quite rough around the edges and she showed up to her pastor's house in Carhartts and she was all dusty and and she sat at the dinner table and she scarfed down that that plate of spaghetti and just shared her heart. She said, "I'm, I'm going to jail. And I, I need to change something. And I'm addicted to this drug and to that drug. And, and I, I, I'm addicted to cigarettes too. Do I need to give those up? And the pastor said, let's just focus on the drugs right now. Let's focus on this here, then we'll move on. Frankie went to jail. She got out. And day by day, month after month, year after year, that imperfect church with imperfect people along with that imperfect pastor walked her and her boyfriend who then became her husband and their family and now live a drug-free life what happened long-suffering happened Frankie went to her pastor one day and she said I'm drug-free today because of you because you invited me to your house You let me sit at your kitchen table and eat your food. Here I am, an addict, and you didn't judge me, but you sat and you listened to me. And because of your long suffering, because of your commitment, I am where I'm at today. All it was was an imperfect church that was filled with imperfect people that decided to take Frankie and her family and point her to the love of a perfect God. I will end with this if I could have the worship team Come forward. In his book, The Four Loves, C.S. Lewis wrote this There is no safe investment. To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything in your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly be broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. Wrap it up carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in a casket or a coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. The alternative to tragedy, or at least the risk of tragedy, is damnation. The only place outside of heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all the dangers and perturbations of love is hell. Well, sign me up. That sounds great. No, that's reality. Love is a risk. It hurts just as much as it feels good. And it's not a matter of if you get hurt, but it's a matter of when. And as hard as it is, agape love is uncomfortable. It goes against our very nature, our very flesh. That's why it's one of the fruits of the Spirit. In fact, when I choose to love you, what I am saying is that I give you permission to hurt me. Now, I am not excusing abuse, being taken advantage of. That's not what I'm saying. You need boundaries, boundaries is very loving boundaries is agape but what I am saying is that to love anybody to have that sacrificial love to show grace and forgiveness to tell the truth in love to invite people into your home it is a risk but when that imperfect church filled with imperfect people decide to show believers and non-believers alike that perfect love of God that's when miracles start to happen Hi have everybody stand? Once again, thank you for joining me on the Unique On Purpose podcast. And if you are ever looking for a speaker for your women's conference or a Sunday morning fill-in, you can go to RachelGentleman.com and click on the speaking tab. Don't forget to download, share, and to subscribe to this podcast and remember... You were created unique on purpose. You are loved and because of Christ, you have been made worthy. I'll see you next week as we join the Viking from Guard Strong Ministries.